This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and my guest today is author and radio commentator Fran Soren. A new and revised version of her book, Digging Deep, Unearthing Your Creative Roots Through Gardening, has just been published. And you also have, Fran has also done um, articles for Huffington Post. There's a, I will put a good link up to one of her articles there for you on our Facebook page. Good morning, Fran. Good morning. It's great to be here, Daryl. Well, I've been looking forward to talking to you for quite a while because <laughs> you you're, you do things that I haven't much yet or that, you know, particularly in the way of creatively. Um, and so I'd like to talk to you about that and we can tell people. I'm always telling people that they can pretty up their vegetable garden. And mm-hmm. I have always done that myself by growing flowers in it. But we, we can talk some more about that. But before we get started on that, what path did you take to um, to get you where you're going? Sure. Um, I pulled weeds as a kid. <laughs> That's the path I took. I was I was raised in a household where we did, you know, all the work. The girls, it was very sexist. The girls pulled the dandelion weeds, and my brother mowed the lawn. How do you like that? So I never you thought know. up. I, that's pretty typical of our age group, baby boomers. But I never thought I would end up loving gardening. But the truth is this. I grew up in upstate New York, part of my childhood, Rochester. So I was surrounded by lilacs, peonies, roses, irises. And I remember being in the garden with my mom. And the most um, wonderful thing was when we cut the peonies, when we brought the flowers in, and the beauty of the flowers and the scent. I never forgot it. I mean, never, ever. So it was just, you know, you, you don't know about yourself until you look at yourself in hindsight, your years. But even when I was in college, I had 50 plants in my basement apartment <laughs> and every I mean and then I had guys bring it from Pittsburgh they were going driving from Pittsburgh we were in school in Chicago and they drove it to me in Philadelphia the 50 plants I wanted them with me so I I guess I was somewhat obsessed with gardening or passionate but I didn't know and then wherever I lived when I got married um, and in our home our first home it was an older home so I was a weekend gardener who pulled things out weeded and put things in but I never designed a garden. And then we built a new home, one of those ugly homes. We wanted to move to a better school district. Ugly homes on a cul-de-sac. And it was really, when they finished and left, the, you know, they left the house as it was. And there were a few evergreens out front. And, Daryl, I nearly died. It was so ugly, I can't even tell you. I was shocked. And I didn't know where to begin. So I began. So began the journey of me really becoming a passionate gardener and learning about garden design. And it's all in my book. Um, but beyond that, it's like anybody else who's passionate. You will do anything to learn and to grow. And that's what I did. 
and I found some great mentors along the way. I was really lucky that I mentored at a DuPont garden with the Scottish gardener who taught me so much, and that I found Chris Woods, who was then um, head of a private estate called Chanticleer and later became Chanticleer Public Gardens, the Pleasure Garden. Mm-hmm. So I've had some great teachers, and then I just keep on educating myself with courses. And then people ask me when they my garden started appearing on tours, being on t- garden tours, and I got to tell you, the first one I was on, I was scared to death. I thought, what do I know about gardening? And I literally hid in the house. And then <laughs> pe- I was that scared. Uh, well, I'm, very, I'm like a very private person. But I realized with gardening, part of the joy is sharing it with other people. Why wouldn't you? It's all about community. And then after that, one thing led to another. And I, you know, obviously gained more confidence and and once I gained confidence, my background was in the media and TV, and I got on the local TV stations, and then other people heard about me. I got on the Today Show, and iVillage wanted me to start their home and garden channel with somebody. So it just kept on going, and then I got a radio call and talk show. It just kept on going and going and going, and that's kind of what's happened. You know, that sounds typical of many, many garden writers. Mm-hmm. We were influenced usually at an early age, um, and even if we didn't garden, it just stayed with us. Like you mentioned mm-hmm. your mother's peonies, and my mother mm-hmm. had them also. And my grandmother gardened, my mother gardened, and of course they would let me help, and that just sort of got into it. And then as a teenager, you know, when I had to pull crabgrass and dandelions mm-hmm. and stuff, oh, sure. mm-hmm. and, and, you know, rake the leaves, I really didn't want to have anything to do in the garden. Mm-hmm. And then we got married, and I had a little tiny apartment, and besides working, what was there to do? So I went over to my mother's. I got a couple of African violet leaves and rooted them, and and that kind of was the start of my downfall. <laughs> or the, the start of your upfall. Yeah, that's, you know, I think, I think that you are right, but I also think there are a lot of professional gardeners who are like us, a kind of fell into it by circumstance and, and memories. And I'm, I don't, I'm not sure yours and not. maybe you were passionate when you were younger, although you said as a teenager you weren't. There are a lot of gardeners who from the time they were young, they remember being obsessed with gardening. And I just wasn't one of them. Well, I always enjoyed growing vegetables. That creative part of me, I guess, came out in growing vegetables because they were pretty. You could eat them. You could, you know, the whole process of planting and being out there, and it's quiet, and you listen to the bees while you're working. And that's just something that always did stick with me. And I guess that's why when we got married and and moved to a little tiny, you know, first floor walk-up, or second floor walk-up, rather, there wasn't any garden there. And... (laughs) That's what really got me being obsessive. I see. I see. So, That's interesting. Anyway, but, but you that studied psychology in college. How did you get from psychology to creativity? Well, it makes sense, actually. I've always, you know, from the time I was young, I studied the piano. I started at age five. And... Uh, really studied pretty, I mean, I was a good amateur pianist, but by the t- I was studying at the Eastman School of Music. I remember from the age of 10, Daryl, I would come home from school, go straight to the piano, 
And like half an hour after practicing scales, I mean, whoever heard of a 10-year-old who likes to practice scales, yeah? <laughs> and I would enter this state of reverie after I practiced enough and then got into playing Bach or Beethoven. And I was really in another world, but I didn't understand. But all I know is my mother used to call from the kitchen as she was fixing dinner. Oh, Franny, that sounds wonderful. And I had tears streaming down my face. Well, I didn't understand until I got to college and started studying. Uh, I went to the University of Chicago and studied with Erica Frum, who was an expert in creativity wow. and auto-hypnosis. She was a mentor. And it was a perfect match in altered states of consciousness. And, of course, that's one, I don't maybe it was high school where I read about Abraham Maslow, um, the humanist psychologist and writer about peak experiences, which is what I was having at the piano, that when you, everything is so aligned. Today they call it flow, where you get into a flow, where you're, you're just focused on what you're doing, and it really is a state of bliss and reverie. And to me, there's nothing greater than that. That's the ultimate. So why not want, you know, why not live more like that in that state? And I was very aware that most people are walking around just trying to make it through life, just trying to make it through. So I've always wanted to help people. Um, and even in the garden, when I was a garden designer, which I no longer practice, I never just went in and designed a garden. I worked with the clients to get them to open up to what they loved and got them involved in the garden as well because it was their garden. It wasn't mine. So, uh, you know, the psychology has always been with me, and, and then I went on and became a minister after that, and I have a coaching business besides continuing in the gardening world. So I really am a hybrid of sorts, I guess. Wow. When do you have time to sleep? Oh, I do. I do. But I, I don't need a lot of sleep, you know, because actually, because of the days, none of us kids, the three kids from my original family, because we had to be up helping outside and inside the house. We were always busy. That that does make sense. I know that in my mother had a really bad accident with a lawnmower when I was in kindergarten, and I know that all of us had to really chip in and do what she had done. And... Yes, it was very early in the morning and very late into the evening, but it got done, and we all survived, and I think we're the better for it. I think, I mean, I, I don't want to sound old-fashioned or outdated, but I see with my kids, too, they learn the meaning of hard work. My son started working by the time he was 13 at a uh, fruit market at the farmer's market where we used to live, and I would have to drive him over at 4.30 and wake him up in the morning. But you know what? He learned the meaning of hard work. And today they're both young adults, they have their own children, and they are both really hard workers and they love what they do. So hard work is good, I think. I think it's good too, and I, I bemoan the fact that many parents these days seem to shield their kids too much from it. Well, you can't build self-esteem unless you truly master something. And if you keep on telling your kids that they're wonderful over every little thing they do, you can applaud their effort. That's kind of building false self-esteem. It's not for, it's not for real then, and they know it. I think you're absolutely right on that point. <laughs> now, we're going we're to talk in a little bit. Uh, we're coming up on a break, but when we come back, uh, people don't really think about being creative in the vegetable garden, but they can, can't they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I'd also like to talk about the people that think they're not creative. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of them. A lot of us. 
Yeah, we'll take a little break right now. Great. We'll be right back after this. Great. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My guest today is Fran Soren, who is an author and of a new and revised edition of her book, Digging Deep, Unearthing Your Creative Roots Through Gardening. Now, a lot of people don't think they're creative. And a lot of them, I, I think many people are almost afraid of trying and failing. What do you say to them? Well, first of all, uh, just a few points. Um, they should realize that they're not alone. They're not alone at all. Um, there was a study done, and I think 80%, it came close to 80% of people, do not think they're creative, which is a very high rate because we've been brainwashed since we were kids to believe either you're creative or you're not. You're born. If you happen to be artistic or musical or a dancer, you're one of the creative people. And the rest of us kind of, well, too bad. So I know for myself, I shunned away from creative activities. I actually went into a business that required nothing of me, I thought, creatively, although I, I was being creative. So the first step is is to understand, at least intellectually, when I tell you this, you are creative. Everybody is born with a creative soul. It's, and yes, some people genetically may have more genetics that allow their creativity to flourish, but all of us have the ability and the power to live creatively. And that means with every breath we take. So in the garden, that's one aspect of your life, is not just to go ahead and do the same old things every year. It's opening up to the possibility of doing things differently. And that means exploring. 
and that means learning, it means discovering, and it means trusting your instincts. And most of all, and the most scary thing is for a lot of people, all of us, it's taking risks. And why I love the garden as a tool for creativity, Daryl, is because, first of all, you can take small risks in the garden. So let's say you decide you're going to try different tomato varieties when when you've grown the same ones every year. What's the worst that can go wrong? I mean, what can be the worst, that it doesn't work out? You know, it's a big deal. Or if I, you know, I always in my suburban neighborhood where I used to live, some of the moms would plant the same annuals in their front yard every single year. And I wanted to say to them, try something different. So there are simple steps you can take. And the more you learn to take risks and explore and try different things, the more creatively you'll open up. And, of course, you know, learning and and taking courses and going to public gardens and going on garden tours, it's a great way to get inspired also. Yeah, I think think you're right on that. Um, And people, you know, I feel sorry for the people that plant same old, same old. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm one of these people that likes insurance. Like, if I'm trying new tomato varieties, I will always try at least one or two of the old ones that I know usually do well oh, sure. in a reasonable year. Sure, and they're your uh, friends. I mean, they're like your old, but to me, you know, they're our buddies, the, the varieties that we can rely on. Isn't it great to see them each year? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And and one of, the, one of the cool things about living in different parts of the country, as I have, is learning what plants grow here that didn't grow up north or that... You know, or, or vice versa. And, yeah. you know, peonies, for example. You had mentioned peonies in the last segment. Oh. And most peonies are not at all happy here in the South. I would guess We have not. a couple that are really reliable, like Festiva Maxima, mm-hmm. but a lot of them just aren't happy. Mm-hmm. So it's you just cold. try something else. Yep, that's right. That's right. And I, I like your idea of, of people suggesting that people take classes. I'm a big person for taking classes, and I, I taught a lot of classes. And the exposure to other gardeners, I, I think, think so. is really important, as well as the knowledge. I think so. And, you know, there are some great online classes now. There's a school, the Gardener School in England. She really has put Elizabeth Brusco. It's a great school. But I've got to tell you something. I think being in face-to-face contact with other gardeners is the best in the world because gardeners tend to be such generous, kind souls. And as I told you earlier, I started, uh, you know, this really gardening passionately in a new home. And we were, we were house poor. I was so lucky that a woman down the street who had a beautiful garden, she gave me so many plants at the beginning. And she really helped me to get my garden going. So gardeners tend to be very generous. We want to share our bounty. They really are. Um, I, when we first bought our home here in Georgia, um, I, you know, we, again, house poor. That's, that's pretty much all. <laughs> and so my mother would dig me up starts of her plants, or, and every time a little, uh, like a pine tree or something, would seed into the gravel area around their pool, um, I'd co- go and dig it up and then plant it here. And, of course, I really didn't have the foggiest idea what, what I was doing, but the fact that the plants came from nearby helped a lot. And That's a great it, it was point. free. 
And now I try to pass that along. When my perennials need dividing, I'll, you know, invite people sometimes on free cycle to come, you know, just come and dig and That's help great. yourself because they, you know, they need plants for their garden. And frankly, the plants that you get at garden centers sometimes are either, if it's a good local nursery, they, they tend to be a little bit pricey. And mm-hmm. if you go to some of the less expensive places, very often you'll find things that aren't suited to our climate. That's so right. I think that sharing plants around is important. And even if you all you have is one plant to share yourself, I don't think most gardeners mind that. I think I've never, I have, that's right, I, I, I agree with you. And, you know, the other thing is, as you said, when you had gardeners come in, other gardeners come into your garden and you let them divide, whatever, doesn't it feel great to know that that's like the legacy of your garden, that it's going into somebody else's and the, it, the cycle continues? I think that's a big thrill. And I have plants from my late friend Becca that she shared from her garden. And and that, I just smile every time they come up in the springtime. Yeah, it's true. And I, the other thing I want to say about gardening and creativity is um, that I, I think we minimize what gardening is in our country. We call it a hobby. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think it's much more than that. I think it's a sacred act. And I don't want to get too hokey or way off the charts here, but I think it's such a primitive need for humankind to put our hands in the soil and to connect with nature in a very profound way and to co-create with nature. You know, we're following nature's lead when we plant something and then it takes charge. And it's a form of artistry, um, so I, I want to applaud all gardeners for doing what they're doing. It's an important piece of being a human on this planet. And I think it's so important for people to connect um, outside. And I really worry for the younger generation that's not getting a chance to play outside and get dirty and, mm-hmm. and to do this. There is nothing more wonderful, I don't think, than having a child out in the garden and having them sift soil through their hands, through their Mm -hmm. fingers, you know, Mm -hmm. sitting in the warm sun. And and I really I really worry about the upcoming generation. Well there are some I I understand what you're saying. I think there's some great groups. Richard Louvre is doing wonderful stuff with Children Nature Network. There there really is a a groundswell of um nature groups for children taking it off beyond all the school gardens that's going on. And it's like anything else. Parents need to be vigilant rather than saying, well, it's just the way it is. What am I going to do? No, it's not just the way it is. The culture can go one way. Do you want your child sitting in front of a computer and looking at nature scenes? Or do you want your (laughs) child, I mean, really, because they show if you're talking about stress, guess what? The nature scenes on the computer, if you watch them, it does show that it relieves some stress. But that's still not the real thing. Do you want your child growing up in front of a computer screen all the time? I mean, it doesn't have to be either or. 
Or do you want them to be spending at least a half hour to an hour outside a day? And, and I'm talking about playing outside and, you know, with the leaves and building forts. And then get them involved in gardening. You know, you talked about vegetable gardening. I was not raised with a lot of vegetable gardening. It was flower gardening. But outside our screen porch, my mom, every year, we planted parsley, carrots, and tomatoes. And I will tell you, pulling up those carrots each summer, it was magical. And those moments, they, it never leaves you, those moments. And I've seen it. I've always had kids in my gardens, um, the kids from school, and I worked with inner city kids. You watch their faces when they, when they see a ripe tomato, or you watch their faces when they see how the sunflower has grown um, within a matter of weeks from nothing up to a few feet tall or even a foot tall. It's magical, and that's what gardening is all about. It is magical. agree with you. Right there. I did quite a bit of work with um, children's vegetable gardenings in school. And before that, in inner city Patterson, New Jersey, I would work with the kids. We had a summer program that um, involved, you know, enhancing their reading and some music skills. But one of the big things that we wanted to do every day that we were out there is to take the kids out for a walk. Mm. and show them the stuff that, you know, they've never seen before. And we'd stop by a little Italian lady that was down the street a bit, and she always had flowers and vegetables in her garden. And the kids would look at that, and if she would pick a flower for them or, or give them something from her garden, they were just, that was the best part of their day. Sure, sure. They were in awe. Oh, well, he's out. So we're going to have, we have to take another break soon. And when we come back, I'd like to talk about how people, how else people can get in touch with their creativity and what they can do in their vegetable garden so that they can be more creative and successful. We'll give them a few specifics of what might go together pretty well. Great. And we'll be right back after this. Quick stakes. That's Q-U-I-K steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Obamacare is failing. 
We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Dr. George from Peachtree ENT Center. We've won patient care awards and have the highest patient recommendations because we believe in practicing medicine the old-fashioned way. Practicing good medicine is based in listening to the patient and making a care plan that is individual. The best medical care is given when there is a strong doctor-patient relationship built on mutual trust and respect. At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. Whether you have problems hearing, have frequent throat or sinus infections, from the time you call our office and speak to a real person, you'll be treated as an individual and not as an ailment. During your visit, you will not be rushed, and all your questions will be answered. When possible, natural treatments will be recommended to fix the problem. If surgery is recommended, cost-effective, minimally invasive treatment for snoring, sleep apnea, or sinus problems will be offered because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and my guest today is author Fran Soren, and we're talking about creativity in the garden. And in the last segment, she mentioned how to get your creative juices going by trying something different. What else would you suggest for them, Fran? Well, one of my favorite things, and I, I don't pretend to be an expert vegetable gardener. That's not my forte or forte, but I always um, had a cutting veggie garden. And one of the things I learned over the years, because I got so involved, and I learned about this actually from visiting other people's gardens, I actually started using not just herbs like uh, catmint or dill in my perennial garden, but I started adding things like Japanese giant mustard, or is it is that what it's called, Japanese giant red mustard with the beautiful... Giant red mustard, mustard. yeah. That's giant, yeah, uh, right, and bull's, and bull's blood beet with the bright red cranberry leaves. I actually use those in my perennial gardens, if you can believe it or not, in front of the border plant. And I think interspersing uh, not, I mean, obviously tomatoes and eggplants, real hardcore uh, veggies, that won't do in, in another kind of garden. But you can add a lot of herbs and some of the really beautifully leaved veggies into your perennial gardens. And i got to tell you, it is drop-dead gorgeous. People notice them. I mean, they will come over and say, what's that plant? What's that plant? And it allows them to stand out. So they're not only edible, but they also take on a beauty that I think wouldn't be quite as noticeable if they were in the veggie garden. And as a matter of fact, one spring when I was at Chanticleer, they had, uh, in a container, they had daffs and um Scylla or Scylla, I don't know how you pronounce it. Is it Scylla or Scylla? Scylla. Okay, and they had the giant red mustard, the Japanese giant red mustard leaves. It was so magnificent, I can't even tell you. So I think that's one way, is to begin to not only look at at veggies as producers of food, which is why why we're using them, but also to look at them as um, 
beautiful things that you can grow in other types of garden. So that would be step number one. And then step number two is to really lay out a plan. And I'm even though I rarely follow plans, but even in my um, veggie cutting garden, I always laid out plans, and it was really a matter of knowing what grew best with what. I mean, obviously the tomatoes need a lot of space, but, I mean, you know this stuff better than I, but you can put lettuce growing around them. And I loved mixing cutting uh, flowers with them and plants like amaranth, which is a wonderful one. So by the end of the summer, your veggie garden is absolutely glorious rather than looking bedraggled, which it does sometimes. This time of year, the amaranth and the sunflowers are just outstanding. And, of course, the kale has come into its own. And, again, I would be adding kale to a perennial garden as well. I mean, some of the kale species are just um, cultivars or varieties are just outstanding. So it's, I think it's just mixing things up and trying in a new way. I, I think that's a good point, too. I like to use giant red mustard with antique shades of pansies oh, in the fall. Stunning. That's stunning. And so you get you, you get your your red mustard for eating because you can always snip off a couple of leaves here and there and bring them in and there are all kinds of combinations that that I that I've used and and that people can try and if you don't like the particular color selection that you ended up with well try something else different well, that's the other thing. You can always pull it out. That's the beauty of it. And even with beans, I mean, I'm thinking, I, uh, I'm i looking right now at rare seeds at Baker uh, mm-hmm. Creek Heirloom. And one year I grew, is it the Japanese purple beans I grew a few years ago with them? I'm telling you, they oh, they were outstanding. And I, I was, this was in Israel where I have a garden also, and I was using raised bed gardening. And it was in my cutting garden there. And they were just, beyond gorgeous. They were so ornamental, they took over the the whole place, literally, that bright purple. If you ever have a chance, try Louisiana Purple Pod Bean. It's gorgeous because not only are the pods purple, but the stems are reddish and you get them backlit by the sun and they are drop-dead gorgeous. Mm. Great, thank you. I will try that. If people go through some of the catalogs and just look at the pictures, I think they can get a lot of ideas. Well, you know what? I do want to encourage people to to grow what they like to eat, though, Uh because it can get awfully frustrating if you grow something that you really hate. Yeah, and we do tell what my big thing with veggie, I mean, now most catalogs are online unless you choose otherwise, but I used to wait when I first started veggie gardening. I would wait for the catalogs to come in early January. And literally, like a great novel, I would just read about each one and then I would make up my, you know, I would uh, doggy uh, ear the the pages. I would end up with a list, Daryl, that was so huge. And then I would cut it down and cut it down and cut it down. And, of course, always ended up buying more seeds than I could ever use. But still, the thing with veggie garden and and cutting garden is you save so much money when you grow it yourself, I think. You do. You do. Unless you're... Unless you're doing some container gardening and having to buy a lot of potting mix every year, then you just do it for fun and fresh, I think, rather than for saving money. But if you're growing in the ground, um, 
Yeah, that's money in the bank. And it's money that they can't tax, and they can't take it away from you. That's food. Well, yeah, and and even stuff like a six-pack of Cosmos when you go to the nursery and they charge five ninety-nine. I'm thinking you get a pack of seeds for what a dollar ninety-nine, and yeah. there's like a hundred of them. So it, yes, and a, a tomato plant is five ninety-nine in the suburbs here. So it's craziness when you can, and even if you only have like a little slice of soil where you can do it outside a door, as you said, in a container. Plus, I think what we forget, the emotional benefits are so huge. I mean, do you ever not marvel when you take your first tomato off of the vine, especially if it's a cherry tomato and you plop it in your mouth? That's cause for celebration here. You know, I always say some women like diamonds. I love gold mushroom. I love the rich compost. I love fresh veggies. Give me that and I'm in heaven. (laughs) I remember when, oh, I guess it was coming up, maybe our fifth anniversary or maybe our tenth. I've forgotten. And my husband asked me what I would like and I said, a load of manure. It's funny, you know, you, that you're saying that. I was on a book tour a few weeks ago, and I was in Denver. Um, if anybody's ever there, Denver Book Bar, which is just a phenomenal bookstore. I wish we had one like this in Philly. Anyway, two young guys came running in at the end, and the guy, one of them said, I've been dying to meet you, and I want my friend to meet you. He had just driven from, I don't know where, Utah. He was moving to Denver, and he took his compost from where he lived in a pickup truck. Can you believe sure. that? Sure. I know lots of gardeners that have done it. I mean, that compost is gold. Right. So I thought, I am so impressed. I've known people that have moved their whole garden, soil and all. Uh, Are you kidding? That seems a little extreme to me, but having come down here from a good garden in New Jersey, where a landlord let us use a one and a half foot strip next to between the driveway and the fence, oh. the neighbor's fence, and working and building up that soil, and then coming here and nothing had been done. Um, it, you know, the builder had scraped off pretty much all the topsoil, and the previous owners hadn't done anything to it. And I was going down into Atlanta to get bags of leaves on, you know, on pickup day, and sure. getting grass clippings from my dad. And, and his neighbors. And so that's a lot of work, and I can understand why people would want to bring it along with them. Yes, yes. Um, the other thing, as we're talking, and I don't know um, how close we are to the break, but I, I'll just raise the issue, is that gardeners, I think a lot of gardeners don't want to get started, especially younger people, because they think it's going to take so much time out of their schedule. And it really doesn't need to. You can really do 30 minutes or even 15 minutes a day if you want. It's a matter of you figuring out what you want to do and keeping the scale very small. Because getting overwhelmed in a garden like anything in life is no fun. And then you tend up get, you end up getting frustrated and kind of throw your hands up in the air and say, I'm just not a good gardener. And that's not true. I don't believe that anybody is not a good gardener. Um, I think you're right on that, too. Um, We've got about three minutes, so let's let's keep developing this. Okay. Well, I guess what I would say, a lot of people approach me when I'm talking, and they'll say that. I'm I'm not a good gardener, and I'll say, and why do you, I'll, you know, probe them. Why do you think that? Well, I couldn't grow this, I couldn't grow that. And I said, and how many times have you tried? 
And they looked at me like, well, I fail once. That means I'm not good. And I start laughing and say, wait a second. I will try something at least four or five times. And if I don't succeed after failing for it, then I will give up and say, okay, it's just not working. But it's really a matter of, I mean, it took me a while to learn how to, believe it or not, grow clematis. I just couldn't get it. And I just kept on trying and trying until I got it. So the difference between good gardeners and those who perceive themselves as failures is a a matter of persistence. And plus, when they don't grow something, when it doesn't grow or it dies, they don't blame themselves. They just say, okay, maybe I did something wrong, but maybe I didn't. Maybe it's just a fluke of nature. And they get back in with a positive attitude and try again. That's really important, and I try to emphasize that to my audience, as they know, because any kind of vagary in the weather can do in the Mm -hmm. best plans, even of a seasoned gardener. Mm -hmm. And we're getting into a state now where we, our weather has been weird in a lot of the country. Excessive heat, prolonged heat, excessive cold, huge amounts of snow up in Boston a couple of years ago. And and the climate has changed. Normally by now, we would be having much cooler temperatures. You know, come mid-August, we'll, you know, we'll get a good several days of rain, and then the temperatures will cool. And they will stay cooler and drier through September. Then we get another rain about the first week of October, and then it would, you know, the, then it's about 10 degrees cooler yet. And that's just not happened this year. And it didn't happen last year. That's so, true. And I know and then, this summer has been inc- it's been incredibly hot in Philadelphia. I mean, up into close to the hundreds. I noticed that you've been hotter than we are, though, for shorter periods of time. We didn't, I think we only had one day or maybe two of a, over 100. It wasn't all that awful, but the prolonged 98, 99, 98, 99, 99, 99, that's just brutal, especially since we don't cool off in the evening. And it's hard on the plants. A lot of plants, particularly perennials, a lot of plants just don't make it. And tomatoes don't set fruit when it's that hot. So, right. Right. yes, people, if you, if you goof up, try it again. Try it again. We have to take a little break, but we'll be right back after this. Quick stakes. That's Q-U-I-K steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, 
you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Right before the break, we were talking about. Um, people thinking that gardening takes a lot of time, Fran, and but it really doesn't, does it? Well, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't have you, to. It, it doesn't you can, have to. I'm sorry, go yeah. on. You can spend as much time as you want with it, you know, if you like to fiddle around in the garden. When I was, you know, when we first moved here, I would spend hours out in the garden. You know, I'd get up and garden before work, I'd go to work, I'd come home, and I was right back out in the garden. Mm. And if I wasn't gardening, I was canning. But you don't have to do that. One of the things, one of my previous guests was uh, Brie Arthur, and Brie Arthur is leading the foodscaping movement where you just plug in a few vegetables, and she's even growing grain now too, but you plug in a few vegetables in the front of the border or, you know, mixed in with your regular foundation shrubs. She grows garlic Mm -hmm. in front of her foundation shrubs in the winter and peanuts in the summer. So sure, she's got sense. food going in there, and tomato plants don't have to be ugly, and there are some new dwarf varieties that, that really are suitable for tucking into the tiniest little places. Really? Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I will put a link up for that, and we'll send it to you, That's too. That's great. Yeah. Um, and she's got a new book coming out in the spring. And then, of course, there's the old uh, square foot gardening method. Have you ever used that? I haven't used that. You and I were just discussing it. I've used lasagna, but not square foot. Why don't you describe what it is? Okay, and then you can tell people about lasagna. (laughs) Square foot gardening, basically you start off with a four-foot square. You subdivide that into one-foot squares inside, and then you plant a number of fruits, a number of vegetables in there, like it may be one eggplant per square, 16 carrots per square, um, four heads of lettuce in a square, and you keep the garden going and productive, and you don't sow more than you need. You just sow what you're going to be eating fresh. And, of course, you can take that to extremes, too, and, and you know, make many, many more square foot gardens. But the premise is good soil, and then limited planting so that you get uh, just enough for your fresh eating. And so, you know, and, and, you know, if you're looking at a four square foot area and you've got a weed a little bit, four Mm -hmm. square feet isn't too many. But if you look at a great big garden, 
out in the North 40, and the weed, if the weeds get ahead of you, it's, you just don't even know where to start. Just isn't, isn't that the truth? And, and I always, as a gardener, have bitten off more than I can chew, and I would advise people against it because it does keep you in a perpetual state of uh, not uh, frenzy, but the to-dos, always the to-dos. And it's only in recent years where I've really learned to slow down. And when I go outside, and this is just a suggestion, be focused on what you're going to do. If you have 15 minutes, what do you plan on doing in that 15 minutes rather than starting with one thing and then looking somewhere else and saying, oh, i got to do this, i got to do that? Because once you focus in on what you're doing, you can really allow yourself just to enjoy the process, whether it's pulling weeds, whether it's pruning, whatever it is, whether it's sowing seeds. The other suggestion I would make also, um, I was just thinking about it before, Daryl, is to use the seed catalogs. I'm, we have so many great seed catalogs, and I don't need to name. I mean, there are, I have my favorite. I'm sure you mentioned uh, catalogs on the show. But to use them not only as learning tools, which they are, because they don't just teach you about a variety, but they also tell you how to plant it. And then... It really allows you to learn, but I limit myself when I buy seeds. I limit myself um, from buying from two places per year because otherwise I'm all over the place. So um, it's really a, a suggestion of just slowing down and enjoying the process. And, you know, all the studies show that this multitasking that we've gotten ourselves into believing that we have to do in order to survive is really working against us. So in the I garden it, also, I'm sorry, go on. I think it creates a lot of stress in people. And yes, it does. The purpose of gardening is, one of the purposes of gardening is to relieve stress. And so you're right. Take off little bits. If all you've got is 15 minutes, decide what the 15 minutes are going to be. Don't, don't get out there and do and do and do. Do you ever go out to the mailbox and, you know, half an hour later or an hour later you're coming into cold coffee? Or right. You think, you think, what happened? Where was I? Isn't yeah. that the truth? Well, is there anything really more fun, especially in spring and now if we get some uh, light rains, where the soil, where it's cool out and the soil is moist and you just see some weeds you have to pull? There is such a pleasure in pulling weeds when the ground is soft and the soil is rich. I don't know why, but but it just is. But you're right about um, gardening. Um, one of the reasons we do it is to relieve stress. And if you take that attitude, this kind of, I have to be productive, got to finish, got to do this, got to do that, you're defeating the purpose. If you take your cell phone out in the garden, if you allow your kids to interrupt you, I always tell people, rather than, you know, use it like you would if you're going to yoga or going to the gym, but it's your time, your private time, whether it's 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or an hour, for you to be by yourself and with nature. And not only, I mean, it's, it's double, you know, you, you get the double bang because not only are you gardening and doing something productive, but it almost puts you into a meditative state, which is pretty extraordinary. It is. Now, we, we're going to talk, tell people about lasagna gardening. And how did you decide to do that? And how? Well, I think I, well, yeah, I think what happened was I got sick of double digging. I mean, it really was. And then a friend of mine turned me on. I think she was over one day, and I was getting prepared to start double digging. And got my trusty spade. And, so, and she said, Franny, what are you doing? 
And she said, you have to get this book. Um, I think it's Patty Lanza. Is that her name? Mm-hmm. And so I just read it, and I and it, it's the easiest of the easiest. It's wonderful where you, you build um, one pile after the other. It's newspaper. You probably know it better than I. I haven't done it in some years. Um, you can use newspaper, straw, um, greens from your compost, anything you want, and just build up layers and layers and let it decompose. And then you have great soil, and you never have to worry about double digging again. It's, that's something for people, new homeowners, you know, when they go in the subdivision, is the, the builders have cut off most of the topsoil. If you're gardening without topsoil, go ahead and get a, you know, a load of arborist wood chips from the power company or from a local tree guy and spread those out a couple of inches thick where you think you want to plant next year and just let them decompose and the earthworms and the rest of the soil microbes will take care of the digging for you so you don't have to when we first came in i I mentioned that our soil was rock hard and i used to get uh, grass clippings and leaves depending on the time of year and i would i lined them all up along the fence um you know a couple of maybe three feet wide and i let them decompose so before I planted anything there. And when I did, the soil went from being so hard that you could bounce a pick off of it to being soft enough just that you only needed a little trowel to dig a hole to plant something. Oh, that's exciting. That's exciting. One other thing I want to add, because I know we're short on time, is that the attitude of not taking yourself so seriously in the garden and of learning how to play and when I say play, it's not doing things by the book. I mean, yeah, it's great if you take courses and you learn skills and techniques, but then ultimately, just remember, you're creating, whether it's a veggie garden or a flower garden or all of the above or edibles, you're creating that garden to please you. It's not there to please anybody else. And great gardeners and great gardening is about your soul being exposed. Whatever's on the inside of you that you want to um, explore can come out in the garden. But it it's a matter of an attitude of, oh, I'll try this, I'll try that, and give it a try and just have fun. And if it, who, I mean, whoever thought we'd be using red and pink together 10 years ago? And now, I mean, I remember when I went to Christopher Lloyd's Garden in England the first time, I thought, oh, my God, he's doing that. And so you may be starting a trend. Don't follow the trends. I mean, we all copy to some degree. But if you want to try something, try it. And if you don't like it, as Daryl said earlier, you can move it. And um, in my book, Digging Deep, I really try to help you learn how to garden from the inside out. Because I think we are all so um, influenced by what we see in magazines and in books, and that's fine. But then how do you find your own way of expressing who you are? So that's really important. And the pleasure, the pure joy when you're standing at the end of a day, uh, you know, the sweat's coming down, you got dirt all over yourself, and you have a moment, a respite where you're putting your tools away, and you look back, and you see your veggies with the, you know, the sun coming down, or, or you see a flower garden, and you just go, ah, oh, this is awesome. And it really is a wonderful feeling of satisfaction and beauty and joy. Um, so that's, that's, really, that's really the feeling. It is an awesome experience. 
It is awesome, indeed. Fran, we're running out of time, but I'd like to let everybody know where they can find you on your blog. And what oh, okay. Else, well, my, web, my website is Fran Sorin, my name, F-R-A-N-S-O-R-I-N.com. And um, on that, I actually have a surprise that I didn't tell you about, Daryl. I am doing a book giveaway right now. It's only for a short time only, and because I'm on your show, um, they can take advantage of it. So if they scroll down to where it says Digging Deep on the middle of the front page and you click on, there'll be instructions there on how you can get a free book and a free online course that I'm giving on how to transform an ordinary life into an extraordinary life. And that's, it's only going to be up for a few weeks more. We just put it up. So if they want to take advantage of that, and if not, I'm at Barnes & Noble's bookstore, Digging Deep, and also online you can find it. So it has really been a pleasure being on your show, Daryl. Thank you so much for being with us, Fran. There's, um, we didn't even get to talk to, about your Tel Aviv garden. I'm really oh, another that. time, another yeah, time. Yeah, perhaps we can get you back on and, and I would love talk it. more about it. And, and your book title again is? Digging Deep, Unearthing Your Creative Roots Through Gardening. It's the new revised edition, and um, I think you would enjoy it. Well, I think they will, too. Thank you so much for being with us. And And thank you for uh, having me. I hope we can do it again. And that's all we have time for today on America's Homegrown Veggie Show, but we'll be back next week. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.